Well, welcome to this Thursday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsha. This hour, we have a treat for you. I am super excited about this hour because we're going to talk about some topics that I think are culturally relevant, and yet they don't always get talked about enough. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we talk about the concept of gender to many people in the culture, uh, it's getting tougher and tougher for people to be able to truly identify uh, what a man is, what a woman is, how many genders there truly are. And I, and I mean this sincerely. I, I'm, I'm a lot more uh, sensitive and empathetic to people who are wrestling with this, not because I agree with them, uh, not because the answer isn't perfectly clear, but the deception is so strong in the culture that they don't fully understand what it means. Jesus and Gender is a brand new book on this topic. Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker are going to join me for the second half hour in this first hour today to talk about that. First, though, a great return visit from a good friend, uh, Gary Thomas, who has written a book on what it means to be a married couple in 21st century America. He wrote a book back in 2013 called The Sacred Search. It sold over 125,000 copies. And then they took a look at what it meant to be married and how many confusing messages were sent out in the public and so gary went back and redid the book he updated it a little bit and that's what we're going to hear our conversation today talking about the updated and revised version of the sacred search what if it's not about who you marry but why you get married let's get into part one of that conversation right now here on the bottom line when it comes to marriage there's a question that a lot of people ask and it's how do you know if you found the right one but what if the question that we're asking is wrong? Maybe the, have, the, the, the question we should be asking has not so much about who we marry, but why you want to get married in the first place. Gary Thomas is with me today, once again, here on The Bottom Line. We're talking a lot of marriage stuff this time of year. Gary is writer in residence at Second Baptist Church in Houston. Uh, you hear him on Focus on the Family, Family Life Today, popular speaker all around the world, uh, books translated into 15 different languages, and, and we're talking about a... a reworking an updated version of a book of his that really asks a very provocative question. The book is called The Sacred Search. What if it's not about who you marry, but why? And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Gary Thomas, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you for having me back, Roger. It's good to have you back, and I'm glad I, I called you Gary Thomas this time instead of Gary Chapman or Gary Smalley. <laughs> or, you know, the, the, there's this whole group of Garys. And I have to ask you, that I've been meaning to ask you, my wife and I are having this conversation over the weekend. What is it with Garys? I mean, is it, did God just break the mold? And it seems like Gary is not as popular a name now, but that's probably because you Garys have kind of cornered the market on doing really great and wonderful things, and people don't think they can measure up. Is that fair? Well, maybe it's common, although I, I, I can't tell you this. My wife was on, in line one time at a grocery store or something, and she heard a woman say, they called their baby Gary? That, that's so bad, it's funny. <laughs> oh, no. So. Oh, no. Well, well, Roger is meeting the same demise. So, I mean, I, you could anytime you hear anybody called Roger, you just kind of look around and say, what was that all about? So, um, But anyway, nonetheless, we're helping couples who are getting married, and we can also put in our good word for uh, if when you get married, have children, when you have sons, name them either Gary or Roger, and we will be forever in your debt. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about this sacred search because it is, it's a big deal. I mean, I was reading even just today about some reality TV star who started dating a guy. Uh, she had gotten divorced and this guy was in the process of getting divorced and he has been separated from his wife, filed the papers a month ago, and now he's engaged to somebody else. Uh, and I thought, boy, I'm sure that makes for great television, but that can't be a recipe for success in marriage. But why is it that people focus, Gary Thomas, on the fact that I found the one, the right one? It seems like even in the church, we fall victim to that too. 
I know. And to be honest, a lot of times I feel like it's just a misunderstanding of brain science. Hmm. Uh, we know from neuroscience that infatuation takes hold hard and it has a shelf life of about 12 to 18 months. Hmm. During that period, at the height of it, you have what neuroscientists call idealization, hmm. where you create a person who actually doesn't exist. It's who you want to exist, but you give them strengths they don't really have. Right. You miss weaknesses that they do have that others pick up. And so you you feel this overwhelming thing. And if you're not aware of it, you think it's real. And so I think when it comes to this, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Hmm. That's great counsel from Gary Thomas today here on The Bottom Line as we're talking about this sacred search and the search itself for the right partner in marriage really is more sacred than just kind of haphazard. Um, it's interesting because... what. What is the great exception that you talk about to this rule here of, you know, why people make the, the stake with infatuation? I mean, what, yeah. what is there an exception to the rule? Well, well here, the, the exception comes from this. I quote Matthew 633, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. And it's Jesus's promise. He's not talking to professional Christians, Rogers, those that are paid to be involved in Christian service. He's talking to grandparents, farmers, tradesmen, young kids. And so he's saying all of us, we should wake up. God's agenda should be our agenda. We should seek to grow in righteousness. The great exception I talk about is there must be some version of the Bible out there where people are reading it that says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, except when you're choosing someone to marry. Mm. Then just look for what everybody else in the world looks for. Marry that person and all these things will be added unto you as well. And I, I, I just joke. I've looked through every version of the Bible I can get my hands on. There is no exception that if Jesus said we should seek first his kingdom and righteousness, if that's not true of who we want to marry and who we choose to marry, what is it? true of mm. that's a more important decision than any other decision we make other than to follow jesus and so what i'm suggesting in the sacred search is that we just let that verse drive our decision because i trust jesus i yes. believe jesus wants our best i believe he's the wisest teacher who knows what's there and so he says when our decisions are pushed through this grid what's best for God's kingdom, what's best to pursue God's righteousness, that will ultimately be best for us as well. Gary Thomas is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about his brand new edition of the book, The Sacred Search. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You have a chapter in here, and I love the play on words here. I'm going to have to spell them out because, uh, quite frankly, if somebody were to hear me say this, they're going to sound very similar. And that is, are you looking for a soulmate, S-O-U-L, or a soulmate, S-O-L-E. <laughs> we know what the difference is between the yeah. one kind of soul and the other, but how does that impact our marriage decision? Yeah, yeah. Well, the soulmate, S-O-U-L, is a very popular notion in popular culture, but the reality is for Christians, it doesn't have its roots anywhere in Scripture. That is that there's this one person that was designed just for us. It actually comes out of Plato, not Scripture, in his book, The Symposium, where... The, the whole notion that Socrates talked about is that the people were getting too powerful back then. He said we were round people, male and female together. And Zeus decided to protect the gods' rule by cutting the people in half so that 
and, and he did it right between the male and female so that we will spend the rest of our lives so desperate to find each other, we won't dare to threaten the gods. And nobody accepts that worldview anymore. I, I, I can't imagine a single person would, but we've held on to this notion that somehow we're these incomplete people until right. we find this missing half. In scripture, the great divide isn't between a male and a female designed for each other, but between each of us and the God who created us. And Jesus is the one who brings us together. And so we don't have to enter dating as desperate people, finding that one missing piece. We should enter dating as people who are fulfilled by God's love, seeking to express God's love by finding a brother, or sister in Christ with whom we can live out God's love. Okay. Desperation well, and dating are toxic myths. We have they, to avoid they, that. They sound it sounds like it is, and yet I'm going to push back a little bit here and actually even include something that you wrote in the book, The Sacred Search. With regard to you say, okay, yeah, it should be about, you know, the everything that you just described. However, don't we have the, the Apostle Paul saying, Hey, you know what? I guess it's better to marry than burn with lust. I mean, that that for some people are we misinterpreting that part, Gary Thomas? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, what I'm saying when there's not a soulmate, S-O-U-L, but a soulmate, S-O-L-E, it's soulmate, S-O-L-E, is walking out that call to seek first the kingdom of God. Paul's the one who obliterates the whole notion of the S-O-U-L. S-O-L, it really yeah. becomes confusing on, on, on the radio, but because Paul says to, to widows in 1 Corinthians 7.39, he's basically told them before— Given the circumstances in first century Corinth, it's it's probably better. He goes, in my judgment, that you stay single. It's it's not a sin to get married. Go ahead if you want to. Then he says, if she decides to marry, this is a quote, she is free to marry anyone she wishes only in the Lord. So Paul makes it very clear. It's your choice. You're not looking for some destiny. We should use wisdom. We should mm. use character. We should evaluate somebody's faith. There's no sense of this mystical, oh, God created you just for me. No, God created my wife for him and his glory. I'm thrilled to get to spend this life as her husband and as her brother in Christ, but I can't complete her. I can't fulfill her. And if she expected me to do that, she would become a miserable person because mm -hmm. I would fail every day. But the notion of this obliterating the soulmate, I think gives us great freedom because Roger, I don't think there's one person we're supposed to marry because of God. I believe there are probably hundreds of people we could have a very satisfying marriage with, not in the same lifetime, of course, Right. right. but th there's not this desperation to find this mystical missing part. It's really, let me use reason to make a wise decision based on their character, based on their relational skills, based on whether this is really the best person with whom I can live out God's will for my life and someone who will encourage me to grow in righteousness. Gary Thomas is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The brand new book we're talking about is called The Sacred Search. We've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com with the provocative subtitle, What If It's Not About Who You Marry, But Why? We've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. A perfect gift for people who are in that in the throes of love, maybe thinking they found, quote unquote, the one and possibly getting ready to make the big step to pop the question. Parents, pastors, grandparents, this is a great resource to have to maybe politely stick under the door or in the face <laughs> of a young person in your family who you think might be 
close to making a mistake. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the, that, that very issue. How do you know when it's no? How do you know when it's right? I mean, how do you know? What, what, what would Jesus say about your dating life, and what would Jesus say about... I don't want to put words in his mouth, but if Jesus were to date, that's one of the issues that Gary Thomas tackles in this new book, The Sacred Search. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits addressing your risk tolerance with professional advisory knowledge. You have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care? And if you need one or both, you both have it. That's right, permanent income inflation benefits, long-term care benefits with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our clients' money in the 4D account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn more when you call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Gary Thomas is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about a, having a delightful conversation about a very serious subject. The subject is marriage. The book is called The Sacred Search. What if it's not about who you marry, but why? We've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Gary, before the break, we were talking about, and actually during the break too, just having a little uh, chuckle over the fact that uh, we both had experiences recently with people who didn't know when it was a no situation in a relationship. But that's, I think that's a question a lot of people, I'm sure you hear from people, you counsel a lot of couples who were in relationships that weren't working on the dating side, but they just couldn't bring themselves to find out it was a no or they didn't know. How do you know as a Christian when that relationship that you were infatuated with for a while is now kind of a no and leave and there's the door type of thing? Well, one, I think it depends on your level of infatuation. If you know you're in the throes of infatuation, I would beg you, beg you to listen to the objective voices, those who love you, your parents, your friends, your pastors who know you. They can see clearly what your brain isn't allowed to see in infatuation. Um, I would be very careful about ever going against the, the, the unanimous counsel of of my loved ones because i know they have it out they want the best for me and they're seeing something uh i i don't uh, the other thing is we only get one choice roger you know uh, th there might be a second marriage there but it, it's a huge thing to get out of a marriage and i often say to people would you rather be well married for 45 years or would you rather be in a frustrating marriage for 50 years and, and so often you feel like I've invested three years or four years or five years already. And if it's still frustrating at that point, I think marriage doesn't make a relationship better. It just makes it longer and more difficult to get out of. And oh, my so goodness. I love that. <laughs> but I, I'm glad we have that with a full quote from Gary Thomas. My goodness. But, but how many young couples need to hear that? And how many parents or grandparents listening to our conversation right now know that there's a young person or maybe an adult in a, you know, wanting to get married again situation who are realizing that, Maybe this is not necessarily the, the right thing for me. And, and I, I hear from a lot of people, Gary, who are in the re dating time, the dating season, will say, it's so great because we have so much in common. 
And you yes. kind of pour cold water on that whole <laughs> that whole notion here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about why that having yeah. so much in common thing only takes you so far in a marriage relationship. Well, because usually when they say that, they're referring to enjoying the same kind of pizza and watching the same right. movies. Right. You know, look, we, we both enjoy Harry Potter books and pepperoni pizza. Who would have believed that that's possible? Well, mm -hmm. there are probably millions of people that do that. But the reality is the job of being a boyfriend and girlfriend is dramatic dramatically different than the job of being a husband or a wife. Amen. You could have Amen. a great time as a boyfriend and girlfriend. You could be head over heels infatuated with each other. Sexual chemistry could be boiling and none of that or even all of that together will predict marital fulfillment and happiness because it's just an entirely different kind of relationship. And so I ask couples to consider things like, can you handle conflict? It's inevitable there'll be conflict in a marriage. If you can't handle conflict, if a guy gets a little too physical or violent, if there's stonewalling, a refusal to deal with the conflict, it doesn't matter how intense the infatuation is or how high the sexual chemistry is, that relationship can't exist. Conflict will, will right. bring it down. Um, I talk about the importance of humility. Uh, mm. that's often doesn't even compare to how somebody's abs are, right? Or what kind of shape they're <laughs> in or, or their hair. Yeah. Um, but in humility is the foundation of relationship. It's the foundation of spiritual growth. And if you're with a boyfriend and girlfriend who always thinks our relationship will be fixed when you get your act together, instead of really addressing where they need to grow and, and what they're learning from this relationship, it's a much different life that you're looking at. If you're marrying somebody who wants to seek first his righteousness, recognizing I'm not all there yet, that there are a lot of areas where I need to grow, you're going to have a much happier marriage in large part because that person's going to continue to grow. Um, I ask questions like, are they a giver or a taker? It, it sounds selfish to givers to ask that question. But here's what I say. If life is about serving God first and you marry a taker, your ability to give outside the marriage is divided by half or more. They will Amen. resent yes. your desire to give. They won't release you to give. But two givers inspire each other to give. They encourage each other to give. So these are things I find that, that singles just don't tend to think about because they're thinking, well, we have such a good time on a date. We seem so compatible. We mm -hmm. always have fun. But all compatibility on a date will tell you is how much you enjoy your vacations, mm -hmm. which for most of us is two weeks out of the year. That's not enough to overcome the 50 frustrating weeks if you make an unwise <laughs> marital choice regard, uh, on the other half. Gary Thomas is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. This new book is called The Sacred Search. What, what if it's not about who you marry but why? We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, the thing that is most enjoyable, and I know you've been married for quite some time, and I'm kind of a rookie in my second time around here, but I, I love the, the, the conflict resolution. I love the, the hard work. The, both uh, Lisa and I marvel at how uh, we've been able to work together and what it's like to actually have somebody who's, you know, rowing in the same direction, not drilling a hole in the boat, you know, that. while you're I drilling. I love that analogy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so perfect. Well, you have a chapter in here about climbing a mountain together. Talk about why, I mean, that talks about a lot of hard work. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're going somewhere, you've yeah. got a goal, but that you have to do that together. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, Roger, you know this from personal experience that 
marriage isn't easy. Even if you make a wise choice, it's not easy. You should expect life to be difficult. Not necessarily because the person you're marrying is difficult, although we are told in James 3, 2 that we all stumble in many ways. Yes. But I've interviewed couples that had catastrophic medical issues. Uh, one guy came down with MS two years mm. after they got married. He wow. benched press over 400 pounds when his wife agreed to marry him. He lives in a scooter today. Or, or parents who had a child, I've, I've met several with their child has Angelman syndrome. Mm -hmm. They will be dependent on their parents for the rest of their life. Depression that sets in in the 30s. I mean, it, you should expect marriage to be hard because if you marry somebody who has the character to face difficulties without feeling sorry for themselves, but to grow through it and to continue to, to be a, a functioning partner, if, mar if life proves to be easier than you thought, you're going to sail through. But if you marry somebody who can only live in Santa Barbara weather, you know, between 65 <laughs> and 72 yep. degrees every yep, day yep. of the year, and you end up going to Anchorage or to Houston in the summer, you're, you're going to be in trouble. And so what I say is it's like I have a lot of friends, but would I climb Mount Everest with them? I mean, there's some guys I'll sit and have a cup of coffee. We can watch a movie or a game. But if they're breathing hard after ascending one flight of steps, I'm not going to climb Mount Everest with them. Right, I can say, right. I love you, but you don't have what it takes to climb Mount Everest. And so you could fall in love with someone and be infatuated with someone. Do they have the relational skills to be married? I mean, you know what it's like, Roger, to row in the same direction or have somebody that's drilling a hole in your boat. That, that's such a perfect analogy, really, for them to realize I, I need to ask not just about who I'm marrying, but why I'm getting married. What does marriage involve? Because those questions will help me determine who is the wise person to marry. Mm -hmm. That's great counsel, Gary Thomas, The Sacred Search. The brand new book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got about 60 seconds left. You do have a chapter with a very provocative title because we would not want to presume that our Lord and Savior missed something when he was walking the earth. But the, the, I think the, the question is not who would Jesus date, but how would Jesus date? Gary yeah. Thomas, help us yeah. understand that perspective. Yeah, we know from Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, a fascinating story just about how Jesus let them think the worst of him. When he was told that Lazarus was sick, they had no other hope. There were no doctors they could go to. Jesus had been threatened there, and so they might have well thought that, well, Jesus doesn't care or he's too afraid. Right. But Jesus did what was best for them. He was willing to let them think the worst of him for their greater good. And I'm saying when we're dating, will I hold back on saying the love word or the marriage word, even though it's so fun to hear it back, I want what's best for them even more than I care about what they think of me. That's Jesus's pattern for relationships that we can apply to dating, even though, of course, Jesus never dated or married. Right, right, never had any reason to or need to, but uh, that, that perspective is so very, very helpful in terms of how we approach dating. Uh, Gary Thomas, so many great new books of Gary Thomas is coming out uh, just recently. The new one is called The Sacred Search. What if it's not about who you marry, but why? We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Gary Thomas, as always, a pleasure. I'm sure we'll talk to you again next week when your next book comes out. Uh, but thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being so prolific and such a, such a great conversation every time you're on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate that. Thank you, Roger. 
Well, that concludes my conversation with pastor and author Gary Thomas today here on The Bottom Line. I really admire a guy who can write a book that's very successful. And if you sell 100,000 copies of a book in Christendom in this marketplace, um, good for you. That's fantastic. Gary wrote a book years and years ago called The Sacred Search. And he wrote it and then it sold very, very well. And then last year he realized, hey, you know what? The opinions in the culture on marriage have changed. Now we have legalized same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage and people changing genders and people getting married and divorced for reasons that are anything less than biblical. Why not do a refresher course? And so he did, and the new updated version of The Sacred Search is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of it to give away to you right now. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line, up for grabs, one copy of Gary Thomas's book, The Sacred Search. And the subtitle is going to be the topic of our discussion on the other side of this break. The Sacred Search, what if it's not about who you marry, but why? Got a link for that up at thebottomlineshow.com. 800-227-5278 for the giveaway copy of the book. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Right after you get into an accident, you need to call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to begin the process of healing. Too many people make the wrong choice and try to handle their case on their own. Don't be gullible. Your insurance company does not have your best interests in mind. Their job is to save money, not help you recover. Stephanie's priority is you. She will help you recover wholly, mind, body, and spirit, as well as get you the settlement you deserve. Begin your recovery by contacting Stephanie first and follow her instructions to streamline your healing process. Stephanie has over 25 years of experience and knows how to get you healed and restored. Although your friends and family may have good intentions, they are not personal injury attorneys, and therefore they do not know the best way to help you. Stephanie Cover does, and she will help you put the pieces back together financially, physically, and spiritually. You need to write down her number now, 877-214-4935, or go to kbrightradio.com slash Law. Your healing begins with Cover Law. My thanks once again to Gary Thomas. I want to say Gary Chapman. That was last week. Uh, Gary Thomas has now moved for our Colorado listeners, by the way. Gary Thomas is now was at Cherry Hill uh, Community Church. He's now one of the teaching pastors there. And his outstanding book, The Sacred Search, got a makeover last year. We have a copy of it to give away. Um, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Teresa standing by with your call. Okay, uh, so here's the question I wanted to bring up. And that is, Gary says in the subtitle of The Sacred Search, what if it's not about who you marry, but why? Have you ever thought about that? And I mean that most sincerely. Have you ever thought about that it's not so much about who you marry, but why? You wonder how many people, these people get together, they date for three weeks, and they're married for 75 years. And then other people get together and they date and they court and they do everything that they're told they're supposed to do. They get married for the 10 bumpiest years of their lives, and then it doesn't work out. I can speak from experience in saying that when it's the why you got married versus the who you got married to, um, the why is way more important than the who. The who does have a role in that, obviously, but the why is just as important, if not more. Gary Thomas covers it beautifully in the book, The Sacred Search. 800-227-5278. One copy for giveaway. Teresa standing by taking your call. On the other side of this break... 
gender issues are going to be huge campaign button focuses for the next six weeks. What does the scripture actually say about gender identity issues? Elise Fitzpatrick and Pastor Eric Shoemaker have written a book called Jesus and Gender that addresses those issues. We're going to get into that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Newport Bay Mortgage will steer you in the right direction toward the truth about reverse mortgages. Owner Cliff enjoys educating every client and wants to debunk the misconceptions you may have heard. You'll see that an FHA-approved reverse mortgage gives you financial freedom. You can use it to pay bills, cover unexpected expenses, or watch your children and grandchildren enjoy themselves while you're still alive. Cliff informs you of the facts. Drawing from his 40 years of reverse mortgage experience, you must be 62 years or older for the FHA program and at least 55 for a conventional high-volume program. It doesn't affect any credit score points and can even be refinanced after one year. When considering ways to enjoy your liquidity in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Contact Cliff today. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse. That's kbrightradio.com slash reverse or 714-741-8080. NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage, an equal opportunity housing lender. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. If you had a chance to hear the first half hour of the broadcast today, uh, you heard my conversation with Gary Thomas talking about his new book, The Sacred Search. We're giving away a copy of that book right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We're going to keep Teresa busy because we have another great conversation to get into right now and another book to give away too. Let's talk about the gender identity issues that are confusing people in the culture and even in the church and what scripture actually has to say about them with my special guests Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker starting right now. Well, few people would argue that one of the most uh, divisive issues that's facing the culture right now, it's facing the church right now, it's the issue of gender. What, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Why is it getting tougher and tougher for people to actually uh, give these definitions? And it's even infiltrated the church as well. And so joining me today here on The Bottom Line are a couple of experts in the field, or at least a couple of authors who are brave enough to tackle the subject of Jesus and gender. Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker are with me today here on The Bottom Line. Elise is the Director of Counsel from the, from the Cross Ministries, author of more than 25 books, Uh, Eric is associate pastor at Grand Avenue Baptist Church in Ames, Iowa. Uh, Their last project, Worthy, Celebrating the Value of Women, was a very, very popular conversation with our Bottom Line Show listeners, as has been their latest uh, book, which is called Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ. And there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elise Fitzpatrick, Eric Shoemaker, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Thanks, Roger. We're glad to be here. Yeah, thanks, Roger. This is a good conversation, especially this time of year, because it seems to me, I mean, not to overly politicize your book, it's not a political book per se, but it is election season. And this is the time of year where we hear the candidates that, you know, kind of back and forth on the uh, issue of what's important to them, standing up for women, standing up for men, standing up for people who don't fit that category, which seems to be a lot more people. And when it comes right down to it, Elise, I'll start with you. This really is an issue that I think the society makes very complicated but for the church, it's really simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. It's for us as Christians to love each other as sisters and brothers in Christ. Can you give us a 60-second overview of what you guys are referring to when you write about Jesus and gender in this brand-new book? Yeah, thank you, Roger. Um, you're absolutely right. This is a really difficult time. People are asking questions that really haven't been asked, I think, that much before. 
and then they're willing to go to the mat about their answers. And what we're trying to do in this book is we're trying to say, look at bottom line is we are sisters and brothers in Christ. That means that we are family members. I am to honor and uh, love you and uh, work for your flourishing and lay down my rights the way that Jesus laid down his in order for you to flourish. And so if we can, if we can center the conversation around that and, um, and really seek to serve one another, then a lot of the other questions sort of fade into the background. That doesn't mean that the other questions shouldn't be talked about. It's just that in Jesus' uh, life and death and resurrection, we have the perfect example of what it means to be a member of the family of God. Mm -hmm. Eric, talk about this from a pastoral perspective, because I'm sure that you're seeing this a lot in your role as a pastor at your church and, and seeing it in the culture on the whole. Even people in the body of Christ are saying, wait a minute, what Elise just said sounds right, but... You know, they're still, I know this person, I know these people, they're really wrestling with these issues. Yeah. And as she talked about, you know, the, the, the pursuit of mutual flourishing that you write about in the book, Jesus and Gender, um, it really is tough for us sometimes to remember what it means to be sisters and brothers in Christ who are created in God's image, who are part of all one family. Yeah, I think that's a, a great question, Roger, and, and I do see it pastorally. Um, you know, our culture is definitely having conversation around gender. What does it mean to be a man? Uh, what does it mean to be a woman? And, you know, I'm in a university town, and so every now and then I'm, I find myself having conversations with uh, college students who are saying, you know, I'm I'm wrestling with uh, gender identity issues. Um, and you know, it's easy, I think, for us as a church to look at the world and say, well, what's confusing about this? You know, you look at the body parts, you know, if it's a man or a woman, uh, why would it be any more complicated than that? And we, we sort of sneer at the culture. Um, but I think we have to remember that we, as a church, when we've had conversations about men and women, we've made it about more than body parts. Uh, mm-hmm. We have often uh, developed certain expectations, norms, stereotypes of what it means to be masculine or feminine and said, that's what it means to be a man. And that's what it means to be a woman um, beyond basic biology. And so you have, uh, you know, you have young people growing up in a culture that's been defined by sort of that, even sometimes Christian perspective on, uh, you know, men, they work outside and they like to build things and hunt and play sports and women like to have book clubs and, you know, go see plays and fold napkins. And, you know, you have a young, a young guy in college who says, well, I really like uh, the theater and, um, and I like clothing design and um, I don't like sports at all. I'm not coordinated. Um, and so whenever I'm in the church and I'm around men, um, I just feel like I'm not really a man. I, I, I feel like I'm a woman because of what is presented and how it's expected for you to act. And, and I think that's a place where we as the church need to be asking the question, where are we contributing to uh, this confusion? Uh, because I think when we can say, um, 
No, here's what the Bible says about, you know, he created us male and female. Um, our created bodies tell us whether we are man or woman, male or female. And there is a very broad and wide expression of how you can live as someone who is male or female. And these sort of cultural, um, this idea that gender is a cultural construct um, I think actually causes people a lot of pain and confusion, um, and and we could do we could do well to simplify the conversation. And I think it's one way we could love our neighbor uh, better in this. That's great uh, counsel there from Pastor Eric Schumacher to, uh, Shoemaker today here on the Bottom Line. The book is co-authored along with Elise Fitzpatrick. It's called Jesus and Gender: Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elise, as Eric was. Uh, describing you know what it means to be a man and means to be a woman i need to confess to you that i guess i'm a woman um because of everything you described <laughs> i grew up, my dad grew us up in the theater we like singing we like you know going to shows and things like that mm -hmm. and i've never worked a minute under the hood of my car so i guess if we use those basic definitions yeah. then that's what it yeah hey, and i realize good company with me <laughs> <laughs> right right i mean and quite frankly i'm married to a car geek so lisa's the one who loves all the gizmos and gadgets and i'm like is there gas in it and doesn't start that's that's all i care about but i but i think it really gets to but it really speaks to the point though when we talk about this we're having a good chuckle saying well obviously i love being a man father of six kids and i i, I love you know the, the masculine side of my faith and I love I appreciate the feminine side but if we're looking to the culture for our cues instead of looking to Christ for our cues there is going to be confusion talk about why it's important for us to not forget the reason why God created us in his image and created us male and female and if God says it's good we should think it's okay too yeah you know of course I I would agree with that Roger and and I really resonate with everything that you're saying you know as a woman a lot of the things that, again, stereotypically the church would say about what it means to be a woman, I, I would be resistant to um, because I'm just not there. I, I don't like pretty fluffy things. And I think a lot of girls who are growing up in the church and really the number of girls who are, um, who are confused about their gender today, so many of them grow up in the church with this stereotype that in order to be a Christian girl or woman, you can't be a tomboy. We heard recently somebody say that in colleges these days, there's no such thing as a tomboy. You can't be that as a girl. And so if you have the desire to smash a ball out of the park, um, then that must mean that actually you're wrongly gendered. So, you know, God made male and female in his image. And the thing that I want to really, and that's good. It, it, God said it was very good. But what I want to really emphasize here is that if you think about gender as a bell curve, there are way more places where Eric and I are the same then there are places where we're different. Mm. And are we different? Yes, of course. Biologically, we are different. Hormonally, we are different. But there are way more places where Eric and I, as a male and a female, and you as a male created in the image of God, that we are the same. And out there on the edges of the bell curve are the places where we're different. And the thing that we uh, resist is the thought within the church that some people teach that men and women have different natures. 
Mm. And we would push strongly against that because you see, if somebody has a different nature than me, then it's easy for me to uh, objectify that person. You are other than me. Therefore, I can ignore and objectify you. Mm. And so what we want to say is, hey, there's lots of places where we're the same. Yeah, there are some places where we're different and we don't want to blend out those differences. But there are many, many places where we're the same. Boy, that is powerful insight from Elise Fitzpatrick, the co-author of a brand new book called Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ, co-authored with Pastor Eric Shoemaker, who's associate pastor of Grand Avenue Baptist Church in Ames, Iowa. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Continuing conversation today here on The Bottom Line, along with Elise Fitzpatrick, best-selling author, director of counsel for the Cross Ministries, and author of over 25 books, Pastor Eric Shoemaker, assistant associate pastor of Grand Avenue Baptist Church in Ames, Iowa. Uh, and, and Eric, I think the last time you and I had a conversation, we established the fact that Ames is not really close to Stanton, Iowa, though that's the center of the universe for my former pastor. Um, and I think that was kind of a blip on both of our radars. So anyway, Ames, Ames is a little bit bigger than Stanton, but the maybe a lot a bigger bit, than Stanton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesus and Gender is the new book. It's called Live, It's called Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we've been taking a look at how the societal roles about gender, the uh, rules, if you will, that, that sometimes the, the society kind of spills over into the church and then we wind up getting hyper-masculinity, hyper-femininity, and, and, uh, and then it becomes, uh, uh, you know, e- either you're right or wrong and there's no, you know, margin whatsoever. And at least we were talking during the break about the fact that, you know, Jesus really, you know, broke down a lot of the gender stereotypes when he was walking the earth. But when you look at scripture to see what we actually find oftentimes you don't, I mean, I'm, no disrespect intended to guys like John Eldridge and, you know, women like Beth Moore and stuff like that. But sometimes some of the models that we have for masculinity and femininity in the culture don't really line up entirely with what Jesus was saying and what God's living word says to us. Talk about the scriptural basis for this book is kind of the centerpiece for you guys. Right. Good. Thank you. So Philippians 2, really starting with verse 4 says, Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So I need to care about other people. And then Paul tells us how to do that. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So we need to have Christ's attitude toward one another, whether we, you know, agree about things or disagree or you're in charge or I'm in charge. This is the attitude who existing in the form of God did not count equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So he took on the likeness of the male nature, the female nature, because it's just one nature. And when he had come as a man, he was gendered as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And so, Roger, I think what what we're trying to say is, if you come to the question of how should brothers and sisters relate to one another in the body of Christ, if you're asking the question, who gets to be in charge, that's the wrong question. The question is, how can I live my life mirroring what Jesus Christ did, that even though he was God, He didn't use that 
power as something to exploit uh, others. In fact, what he did was he laid down his life and took on the form of a slave. And that is what we want to say. You know, um, whatever a person might believe about who gets to be in charge in church, and that's not a, that's not a topic we even talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is, however you think about that, what you need to do is come to that discussion with this attitude, which is, I will lay down my life for my brother or my sister because I want to see them flourish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, and that, that's a new kind of, if I can uh, uh, use a term from the vernacular, flourish may be the new F word for a lot of people in the culture. I mean, it's something that we, I mean, it's amazing how many people don't want to see people flourish. I mean, out in the culture, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to spot, but outside uh, uh, pastor Eric Shoemaker, this is something that is a big issue for us in the body of Christ. The idea that, you know, we kind of joke about the gossipy types and the biting and the backstabbing that happens in churches. But quite frankly, based on what Elise has just been sharing, especially out of Philippians too, we, we should not only, not want that to happen, but we should be doing everything we possibly can to fight it. How do we start taking a positive stand for identifying and that kind of problem and maybe further saying, okay, what can we do to stop focusing on the minors with regard to gender orientation and relation, things like that, and start focusing on the majors for who we are in Christ? Because it seems like once we do that, we're going to stand out quite a bit as hopefully as a positive influence in the culture. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great question, and I think the first answer to that of of how do we identify and address um, these problem areas is uh, that passage that Elise, um, you know, was just quoting out of Philippians two, where Paul says that uh, we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than ourselves, and to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. I think when we have adopted the attitude of Jesus, then we see where people, because we're thinking like him, we see where people aren't being treated as he would treat them. And it becomes easier for us to identify those areas when we have become familiar with and embraced uh, the mindset of Jesus. And, you know, in terms of, you know, you asked about uh, making a big deal out of minor things, you know, there are places, uh, it's it's tricky, isn't it, as we interpret the New Testament to tease out what is a universal command and what is Paul uh, replying to a cultural context. Uh, but it is apparent there are places that are definitely he's replying, he's he's um, speaking to the church and how to live in a, in a certain uh, context. And, you know, that comes like a classic example is the head coverings passage. And, um, you know, there are some people who take that as a, a universal for all time, but many scholars take that as Paul speaking to how the church should be acting there in that, uh, cultural expression in, in, in Corinth, where it would have been expected for this woman to have a sign of authority on her head. Uh, but he wouldn't have expected that elsewhere. And, that's a that's a reminder to me that there are places where Paul is basically saying, for the sake of the gospel, uh, we should pay attention to what maybe a cultural expression of man and womanhood is here. Um, but I think for us, then, living in a day where male and female is almost anything you want it to mean, 
um, there's an advantage for us in that um, there, there's not a lot of cultural expectations for us and that we need to be worried about accommodating. Um, and what we're basically pointing to is, is one person, Jesus. This is the model for all humanity. And I think that frees us from a lot of those really small, um, you know, small matter debates. The church can get really, um, really, uh, you know, just fired up about and fighting, right. a lot of infighting about. Um, and, you know, I think um, as you look then through, you know, Paul's letters where he's speaking to relationships between men and women, even in marriage, um, the basic idea for a husband and a wife is that both of them should be willing to sacrifice their own preferences and their um, their own ambitions for the sake of cooperating with one another and being united with one another in love so that together they can fulfill uh, the mission of Christ. And I, you know, that's, it's just a matter of having the mindset of Jesus as we live out our humanity. At least we've got about 60 seconds left in our conversation talking with Elisa Patrick and Eric Shoemaker about their new book called Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, Elise, get, t- send us out here with a, with some hope. What, what are you seeing in the culture right now that is encouraging to you? Anybody can spot the dust in the corner, you know, <laughs> the, the places where we need to clean up. But where are some areas that you're seeing people kind of embracing this saying, hey, we're going to stop looking at the culture to define gender. We're going to look at the author and perfecter of our faith, the creator of life, to define it. And how are people living in that truth? Yeah, I'm really thankful because I think God is doing a really amazing archaeological dig in the church right now. (laughs) And what he's doing, as you said, is, you know, he's exposing all the dust in the corners. And so that's a good thing because then a lot of people are stepping back and saying, okay, wait a minute. All these things that I thought meant that I was thinking in a Christian way, perhaps I'm not, and I'm rethinking. And I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful that people are rethinking their position on men and women and, and really coming to that place again of seeking the mutual benefit and flourishing of one another. That, I think, is what Christ is doing right now. Boy, that that may be one of the best poll quotes we have from the year uh, in terms of what bottom line guests have shared with regard to biblical truth and living it out and having an impact on the culture. Elise Fitzpatrick, Pastor Eric Shoemaker, the co-authors of the brand new book called Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elise, Eric, thank you again for the great work you've done on this project. And thanks for joining us once again to talk about it here on the Bottom Line Show today. Thank you, Roger. Great conversation, as always. The second time we've had Elise and Eric on to talk about this issue, but I thought with the election coming up, so many people have issues with regarding gender identity, gender confusion, things of that nature, that this would be a perfect time for us to dive into this uh, this fascinating book that they have put together on the issue of, it's called Jesus and Gender. That's the simple name of the book. And then the question that uh, they are dealing with here is, what does the scripture actually say about, uh, you know, sisters and brothers living together in Christ. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book that we're giving away right now 
800-227-5278. We're keeping Teresa busy today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. My thanks again to Pastor Eric Schumacher and also author Elise Fitzpatrick uh, for giving us a gander at what uh, the scriptures have to say about Jesus and gender and how we as Christians can live as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book that we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, when you get right down to it, one of the things that, first of all, that I appreciate about this book is the fact that it has folks from the more conservative side of this issue, like Christine Kane, to the more liberal side of this issue, like Karen Swallow Pryor, all saying hip, hip, hooray. Here's the reason why this book is so helpful today. Let's be honest, brothers and sisters, and I'll put myself in this category too. We, the church, have not done a great job with communicating biblical truth about certain things that are pretty biblical, like, for example, the gay issue. Um, We know that Scripture is very clear that homosexuality is a sin that any sex outside of marriage is a sin too. And yet we'll jump up and down and beat our chests and wave our banners about people in same-sex relationships, but when Christians are fornicating, no one cares, or no one seems to care. Um, In fact, one major denomination, it got so bad that they removed that uh, condition from pastoral ministry. Those who were engaged in pastoral ministry could be having illicit sexual dalliances with people they weren't married to, and that was no longer a a term of disqualification. So we do have a bit of an inconsistency problem when it comes to that. When it comes to Jesus and gender, we know what scriptures say, but do we actually live it out? Look at some of the mainline denominations that have really come under fire over the fact that there's been a lot of uh, sexism and gender discrimination. I'm talking about, you know, men discriminating against women. Uh, there's been a lot of kind of hatred toward between the genders. And the reality is God said, let there be, you know, let us create them in our image, male and female, created Adam, created Eve and said, we're good with that, weeping the Trinity. So if God's okay with this, just look at the pages of scripture and see how Jesus related to the women in his world, to the men in his world. Did he have 12 male disciples? Yes, he did. Did he have a core group among in that? Yes, he did. But look at his three closest friends on earth. Two of them were women. Look at all the important announcements that were made through women. Go back into Old Testament time and see where women and men both had equal responsibility. You know, it's crazy for us to say one's better than the other. Uh, but I realize complementarianism, uh, complementarianism gets a bad rap because egalitarian, we're all equal. Well, men and women are different. God loves us all the same. He loves us all equally, but not the same. And in the same way with men and women, since men and women are created different and God's okay with that, shouldn't we appreciate what God says about gender more than the culture? Great book, Jesus and Gender, by Elise Fitzpatrick and Pastor Greg or Eric Schumacher, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day, and Rabbi Schneider in Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next, Bottom Line Show Extra tonight at 7, and the Bottom Line Rewind tomorrow at 10.30. For those who remain on the network, I've got a fascinating uh, National Crawford Roundtable podcast coming up that does not feature yours truly. I was down for the count, as I mentioned at the uh, beginning of yesterday's program. Uh, Bob and Neil and John talking about immigration reform. Is the border really as secure as the vice president actually indicates? They're going to take a look at that coming up next on NCR here on The Bottom Lines. Bottom Line continues.